we discussed some difficult topics in this episode. So I just want to let you know, it might be triggering for sensitive listeners, but it's info that you'd want to have. Electrocast. Okay, it basically comes down to this. You have to forget everything your culture has told you about being a woman. And then you can begin your day. Hi, I'm Jill Sorensen, and you are listening to the new feminist podcast, The Place for Common Sense Feminism. I bet you didn't know that 85% of the most watched porn videos online involves violence and degradation of women. And I'm talking about the kind of violence where, where you sometimes wonder if the actress is actually going to be alive or not afterwards. In the age of Me Too, when Weinstein is going to jail for 23 years, beating and raping a woman in pornography is shockingly being excused as just sex. And the worst part of it, it's being fed into your kids' iPhones. It's an epidemic of enormous proportions that is Me Too's most powerful enemy. I'm so excited today to be speaking with someone at the forefront of this. Dr. Gail Dines, the founder and president of Culture Reframed, has researched and written about the porn industry for more than 30 years and is the leading expert internationally on how pornography shapes our identities, culture, and sexuality. Her book, Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality, has been translated into five languages and is also a documentary film. Her organization, Culture Reframe, provides educational tools and resources to fight hypersexualized media and porn. I sat down with Gail and she shared information you will not want to miss. Gail, I am so, so excited to have this conversation with you. So can you tell us about you and what you do? Yes, um, I uh, am CEO and founder of Culture Reframed, which is an organization that defines pornography as a public health crisis. And we build programs for parents of tweens and teens to help them, to help parents build porn resilient and resistant kids. That's what I do now. But for the last 30 odd years, I was an academic. Um, studying the effects of pornography, writing about it, researching, lecturing. And this seemed the natural step was, you know, and how this really evolved culture reframed was that I was going around lecturing and telling parents, doctors, social workers, child protection agencies what was going on and leaving them in a state of literally shock. They didn't know what to do afterwards. And then I thought at some point, you know, I go in there and I sort of dump this on them. And then what? I leave them. And so in 2015, a group of us got together from different disciplines, public health, psychology, sex education, sociology. um, And we decided we were going to start an organization that would help parents because parents were clamoring for this. Mm-hmm. So what made you get into this? Accidentally, actually, it was an interesting story. I was um, doing my doctorate on the sociology of education and somebody said to me, there's a slideshow in town by a group of feminists from 
And this was 35 years ago. Wow. Um, from a group of feminists in uh, the US. Do you want to go and see it? So I thought, why not? And it was about pornography. And that night, my life changed. I could not believe what I was seeing. And I hadn't lived such a sheltered life, but I'd never seen anything like that. And what, what, thought, what did you see? What would be considered mild today? Right. But it was it was violent then. But today, believe me, I am. I never thought I'd live to say this, but I am nostalgic for those days from what drove oh, me right. to this. And I went home that night and I called my uh, PhD advisor and I said, I'm changing the thesis topic. I'm going to write my dissertation on pornography and its impact. Wow. And that got me ever since. So what should women and also men be concerned about today? Well, I think everyone needs to be concerned about the fact that pornography, mainstream, violent pornography that is free has become the major form of sex ed in the world today for kids across the world. And it's the sort of pornography that I would say pre-internet, you would have to go into a specific shop, porn shop, and you'd have to know someone to get access to such hardcore pornography. Today, that's mainstream and it's free and it's six, seven seconds away. And often kids don't go looking for it. It's coming at them through um, teenage platforms like Snapchat, Instagram, or just wherever they are. Just so people know, I mean, you and I have had conversations about this and I know after the first one, I literally couldn't sleep all night. People are not aware of what their kids are seeing. Uh, You can feel free to share any details on this podcast, but what is it really we're seeing? What is this alarming trend that is the new reality for our teens and tweens? Well, it's not, an, uh, it's not new anymore. This is like what I'm describing as the main sex acts have been going on for a while. So, I mean, and if there's any parents who've got kids listening to this, you probably want to think twice about, you know, if you've got kids listening to this. So the standard porn scenes are body punishing, violent, abusive, dehumanizing. Women being choked often until they almost pass out and their eyes are rolling backwards in their heads. Three men pounding away at women orally, anally, vaginally, spitting in her face, calling her every name you can imagine, bitch, whore, cunt, cum dumpster, and then ejaculating all over her face, gagging her with a penis so the penis goes so far down her throat she can barely breathe. Um, These are pretty standard. Very, very rough anal sex has become standard. Um, And it's all based around the dehumanization and destruction of women. I mean, I say in pornography, men make hate to women, not love. Anything you consider about sex that includes love, connection, and intimacy is completely wiped off the slate in porn. And what you're left with is just a form of debasement and violence, and it's linked to sex. So it gives the sex the extra thrill, and it gives the violence the extra thrill. And when you put the two together, you have a perfect storm. And the violence you're seeing is increasing over the last 10 years, over the last five years, or is this the last year? Well, no, no. What is is the difference? This is actually the last 15 years. Oh, my God. What the difference is, there's a lot of differences in the business model. The biggest difference was around 2007, 8, when a company that was then called Manwin, which is now called MindGeek, developed the free porn model, the tube sites. And the biggest difference there was that now kids had access to hardcore porn. Prior to that, it was much harder to get access because you had to pay for it. Today, it's free. 
Um, I would say if you want to talk about certain sex acts that are new, the strangulation is absolutely on the increase where men are strangling women. And this is so dangerous because you're now... And then the woman is happy when she's beaten, right? Yeah, but if or, you look at her, she's not. She's not. You no, I mean, it. but they're pretending that exactly. this is, uh, you know, because that's not reality. Um, no, she's always saying, I love it, beat me more, give me more. When in reality, if you're just watching her face, I mean, these women are not, you know, great actresses. They're actually, you can see, grimacing, crying, in pain, um, just they're saying, give me more, give me more, harder, harder. Um, but the strangulation is particularly problematic. First of all, it's finding its way into court cases where it's being renamed rough sex. That so, is disgusting. That's so dangerous. And, well, it's also dangerous because what a lot of people don't know, um, when the guy strangles you and he's having sex with you, if he doesn't kill you, it doesn't mean you won't die from it because it can take up to a week for inflammation to come up and for you not to be able to breathe. So it's especially dangerous on many levels. And also they found that the more likely a woman is to be strangled, the more likely she's to be murdered in a domestic violence case. Oh, gosh. So, you know, I read somewhere that uh, the 250 most watched videos on the internet, porn videos on the internet today, contain just horrific violence. What percentage would you say? It's around 90. 90% is the study, yeah. The study by Anna Bridges and her team, where they looked at the most um, looked at videos, was 90% was the um, slapping, I mean, you know, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, you name it. But what, what I don't understand, how is this legal? Well, nobody knows if it really is, but nobody's doing anything, so it's legal. That's what makes it legal. I mean, it's illegal um, to hit women, and anal gang rape is, is illegal. How are they getting away with this? First of all, the laws on the books, which is mainly obscenity, are very difficult to enact. Secondly, there is no political will to do anything. It is astounding that, you know, and we have, you know, I've spoken all over the world to governments, etc. Um, the United States is the most difficult to get to governments. In, they're talking about doing um, age verification in England, in Sweden, in Australia. So other countries... Oh, the porn actors. The, 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 the no, porn. age verification for those who can go on the porn sites. You have to be age verified by a third party. And so, you're, so kids can't get on porn sites. I mean, and they don't even have that now. But why is there no will? Why? I think because the porn industry has done a great job in the PR of arguing that if you're anti-porn, you're anti-sex. And the truth is, you can't be pro-sex and pro-porn. No. You have to make a decision. You know, porn is the most anti-sex imagery I've ever seen. The pornographers hate sex. They love money, but they hate sex. But somehow they have managed to conflate porn with sex. So if you speak out against pornography, you get accused of speaking out against sex. It's just so distracting. Talk about a porn as an addiction and what it does. Well, this is quite new research, actually, where they're beginning to see the way in which porn impacts the dopamine receptors. And what they're finding is that there is indeed what we would call addiction to pornography in terms of obsessive compulsive use, withdrawal if you don't use it. I mean, I've met with many boys, young men who are masturbating to porn all day, 10, 15 times a day, their penises are bleeding, it's so sore, oh they can't God. get away from it. 
And if you look at the neuroscience literature that's coming out, there is an increase that you're seeing more and more showing exactly how porn is addictive. And it's mainly because of the dopamine receptors and what it releases because of the fusion of sex and violence. But, you know, I want to be very careful here. We need to think of this as a continuum. And while there are kids addicted to porn, even just looking at violent porn once shifts the way you think about your own body, the way you think about sexuality, intimacy, connection. So there's a continuum of effects that we need to be talking about because I don't want parents to walk away thinking, well, I know my kid's not addicted to porn, so it's okay. We know from 30 years of empirical, well, more now, 40 years of empirical research, that masturbating to pornography has a profound effect on the way you think about yourself and bodies, on increased depression, anxiety. It lowers the capacity to for academics. Um, boys isolate. They're more likely to become sexual offenders, more likely to be sexual bullies, more likely to uh, push for sexting, for girls to sex to them. So, I mean, there's a whole array of impacts that go beyond addiction, which is, of course, an extreme well, their whole view on, on women, too, because they get a whole completely warped view of women and what women like. I mean, their sex education is no longer in school, I read. It's in their first experience with sex is fed into their iPhones. Is that correct? Well, absolutely. And that's been going on for a while now. And first of all, there's no really, I mean, there's very few schools that do good sex education. And I have to say, by not having good sex education in the schools, you're giving the pornography industry a gift. Because kids are naturally curious as they develop, you know, cognitively, emotionally, sexually, they're interested. And if they've got no information, where are they going to go? If porn is just, what, five, six, seven seconds away. So we need to be thinking about a kind of sex education that builds a critical porn analysis and porn resilience in kids so that they choose not to go to porn. How are the kids being targeted and at what age are they being targeted? Well, it's very hard to really get to find out because it's, it's kind of the Wild West out there. We know um, it's migrated to Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Um, and, that- and in what way is it on? Like, for example, if your kid is on Instagram, you, you're, you have a seven-year-old son and he's on Instagram, how does he get targeted by these people? Well, because a lot of porn performers set up um, sites on Instagram and then you can get onto there and then you can get into their pornography through there. And how are they taught? Tar- so how, how do they find the kids? I heard something about emojis. Or yes, yes, a lot of it's hidden behind emojis. It's hidden behind hashtags. And then, of course, you know, kids talk to each other how to get hold of this. When you go and speak to kids, they discuss exactly how you get hold of this. But certainly there's a lot of hash. There's a lot of emojis where the kids know to put into where they get to the porn. But also it's coming at them. A lot of kids first receiving porn, not through their own free will. It's actually being targeted. They're being targeted by the industry. And you know what? It's, it's a smart business model because the earlier you target them, the more they go on to pornography, the more they are to see this violence, the more likely they are to be traumatized by it, the more likely they are to keep going back again and again and again. It's like any predatory industry. Get them early. Oh, it's so, I mean, it is so wrong and so disturbing. And what's really disturbing is that organizations that have really been tasked with taking care of kids, like, you know, the American Pediatric Association, the CDC, educators, they're not saying anything. It's like, it's like 
dead silence out there. But why? Are they not aware? Is there there's a lack of awareness? I think a lot are not aware. I know when I go and lecture to these organizations, they're not aware. I know that they're scared to bring it up in schools because they're scared of the parents and what the parents will respond to. And how dare you introduce my kid to porn when in fact, a lot of the time, the teachers will say to me, we can't have um, sex education around porn because the kids, because the parents will go crazy. And then in the evening, when I talk to the parents, they say, I wish the school was doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the schools are going to need to have a conversation about this. Um, what is the correlation between rape and sexual abuse with habitual users of porn? Is, is there a... Uh... There is a definite correlation. Absolutely. And the more porn you look at, the more likely you are to be a sexual abuser. Now, there are recently studies coming out which aren't just causation, but one well, just correlation, but looking at causation to see, and that they are finding that definitely porn is leading to increased levels of sexual violence. And actually, when you speak to kids boys and girls, they themselves talk about learning these acts through pornography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really so concerning. I know you've spent many years working and speaking to women in the porn industry. Can you, I think people or or particularly kids have this idea, oh no, they're happy. They're selling a whole false front. Can you share some other stories with us? Well, it's very interesting that women while they're in the porn industry, won't speak out against it because obviously they're scared. They're worried that the work will be, uh, they'll lose work. You, you get to hear the stories after they've left. And this is the women that I speak to. So first of all, it's, I must say, the women who leave never call themselves sex workers. They say they were sexually exploited. They hate the word sex work. They feel it completely whitewashes what's going on. Then they talk about how they... This is after they leave. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, after they Mm -hmm. leave. Mm -hmm. Then they talk about how they signed contracts. And then often on the set, the first thing they did was get them to break their contract because you have to sign what you will and won't do. And the the producers and the directors have a... Before before you get hired, you have to sign what you will do. Yes, when you go to do a shoot. And uh-huh. what's interesting, and there was an article about this in Adult Video News, is it says, um, on her first photo shoot, try and get her to break her contract because then you've broken her. Oh. So um, the really, you know, so women, and then they often said, look, okay, if you won't do, I don't know, um, triple anal or double anal, which is, you know, two penises in the anus, fine, but we'll let everyone know you won't do it so you'll never get work. So there really is kind of a coercive way into which they have to do things they don't want to do. And for most women I've spoken to, mm-hmm. even if they think they were voluntarily going into it, they said that what happened to them that first day on that porn set changed them forever. And in a Jesus. way, I think what happened is they got raped. They didn't, and they were not expecting it. They thought because they signed a contract, this would be okay. But mm-hmm. the actual invasion of the body to think of this happening to you. I mean, I sometimes watch porn and I think, I I don't know how I'd get up off the floor after that. No. I just don't know how I'd get up. Oh, God. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. 
We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Why are they staying in the industry if they are treated like that? Do they come from uh, homes where abuse was prevalent? Well, when I first started this research, I would have to say that was true. Yes. Now, increasingly, what you do is you have a culture that is actually socializing girls into self-objectification. They're grooming the girls into a porn culture. So what often you hear is, you know, a working class girl looking at minimum wage. She's got Mm -hmm. a boyfriend who says, you know, you're really hot. And you have sex for nothing with me. Let's, let's think about making money from this. Or you have runaways and then you have this thing called suitcase pimps where the guys are looking for young women, runaways. Or sugar and daddy. I heard sugardaddy.com. It's not quite the same thing. Oh, okay. They don't pimp them out. They, sit okay. into their, they call them agents, but they're actually pimps. So mm-hmm. there's multiple ways that women, that women get in. And it is very difficult to get out once you're in there and you feel like you're not part of the world you feel like somehow you've lived in it and there's and there's truth to this you've lived in a universe that very few people understand so how are you and what have you got on your resume where are you going to go what kind of job are you going to get and remember that you never leave the porn industry because your image is up there and it will exist long after you die Oh my God, with, with the brutality that's going on. How long can you withstand this? I mean, I, I just can't even... Well, I read one it. article in the porn business press that said about three months. And then it's, they've got so many STDs, so many bodily injuries, they just can't tolerate it. And then what happens is a lot of them end up in the brothels of Nevada. Oh, that is so sad. I know. But, and these girls are being groomed by this culture to think that a step towards becoming a movie star is getting into porn, which is completely ridiculous, of course. It makes me furious. I mean, even look at the Super Bowl. I like J-Lo, but why is she coming down on the stripper pole? Why are we normalizing this in our, our movies and the media? Why do I have to go and watch a movie and there's the obligatory stripper scene? I mean, it's That's gender discriminatory mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. and and why is it in our movies? And is it like the tobacco industry and they have been able to influence our popular culture? Can you share yeah, that? Yeah, there's multiple reasons. That's one of them. But we kind of live in a porn culture where images and representations and storylines from pornography really form the blueprint of mainstream media representations. You know, pop culture has become pornified. And especially when you see the stripper pole, you don't see men doing that, you know. it's a, And that is a normalization of the sex industry. And I think the, the porn industry- It's only the women who are being objectified. The women are on the stripper pole. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. only them. And if it's, I always used to say to my students, you know what, if men think it's a good idea for women to do something, but they're not doing it, be suspicious, right? It's such a great idea for women to be going up and down stripper poles. Why aren't men? So these are the kinds of questions to ask is what is it about this culture that makes it seem okay for women to be hypersexualized and pornified? And yet men aren't, you know, you you have men in porn, but they play a very different role. They're not 
um, in heterosexual porn, they're not mistreated the same way. They're not beaten the same way. They're not strangled the same way. I mean, they are the actual um, perpetrators, not the victims. From the beginning of time, women have stayed oppressed by being objectified. I mean, that's how women have survived over time, by being objectified, to have to look good to get a husband to support her. So I think this is just perpetuating this objectification of women. But why is it becoming so violent? Because you've got a multi-billion dollar porn industry, which is now... um, mainstreaming their images this is what you've got you've i mean you cannot have this billion dollar industry that shapes the sexual templates of young boys and not see it spread out everywhere because these boys then grow up to go into the media industry they grow up to be filmmakers they grow up to be politicians i mean you're actually grooming a whole generation of boys as well into normalizing the porn culture. And also we should say something about the porn made in LA is that a lot of the support staff, the crew and everything, um, they work for regular films as well as porn films. So you've got crossover there. So they're seeing both. Mm. So that's right. I didn't even think of that. There's a whole normalization going on where it's just part of, uh, people get blinded. They don't even know right from wrong anymore and also the girls you know when you look at the studies a lot of the girls say you know if they don't do the porn acts then they can't get hookups forget dates you know those are like almost the thing of the past but um and they feel compelled and pushed into conforming and they don't want to i i mean when i ask in schools you know how many of you have gotten any help to navigate your way through this porn culture they all shake their head and say, we're drowning. We don't know what to do. And a lot of boys feel that way as well. A lot of boys are going to porn who wish they'd never seen porn ever. So we are doing such a disservice to our kids, an incredible disservice. It is a crime, really. I think in the last conversation we had, it's like you're inviting the sleaziest guy you know into bed with your kids to teach them about sex. Exactly. I mean, it is an epidemic. What about the self-objectification we see on Instagram? Like, it's running rampant. My opinion is that they, they have this cultural pressure on them, and then they are just doing what their friends are doing and trying to get attention, and it's been fed into their iPhones. So can you, can you talk about that for a bit? Yes. I mean, I mean, when we talk about selfie culture, first of all, the studies that show that the more sexualized selfies girls take, the more they're at risk of sexual abuse, rape, etc. Lower self-esteem, depression, anxiety. I mean, when you think of the notion of being that obsessed with the body, and by the way, there's never a good enough selfie. Girls take hundreds and hundreds of selfies of themselves. And really, the Kardashians were very um, important in this, in making this go mainstream as well. So now what you see are these really sexualized images of girls all over. You know, I went into Instagram and I was just shocked. I thought I was looking at some of the porn sites. That's how pornified these images are. And then you have the problem that if they send, you know, pornographic images of themselves and they're under 18, they, the girls who send images of themselves under 18 can be done for distributing child pornography and can go on the sex offender list. Mm. and the boys and girls who open 
those images and distribute them can also go on the sex offender list as child as as uh, child pornographers. So we we have set our kids up. And again, I ask, where are all of these organizations out there doing what needs to be done? The education, taking this seriously. You know, we're arguing about abstinence only in a porn culture. We need to be talking about building resilience and resistance to pornography, not abstinence only. Because we know how well that works as well, given the statistics. I just think people aren't aware of this. I know there's some journalists in Sweden who are sharing pictures of what you can actually find when you click on this stuff. And any woman you speak to about this is horrified because they're just simply not aware. People need to know what's going on. How can we uh, spread the message? Well, that's one of the things that Culture Reframed is doing, is one of our goals, apart from building the programs, which I do advise your listeners to go on if you've got kids. It's free, it's accessible, it's got lots of good content, embedded videos, um, and they will learn how to have very important conversations with their kids about pornography. And we say, you know, you don't want one conversation. You've got to have multiple, multiple conversations. And by the way, at the end of our programs, we even script out conversations. And why we script them out was that when we said we were going to give bullet points of how what to talk about, all the parents jumped out of the seat and said, don't do bullet points, script them out. We want to know word for word, which mm-hmm. of course, you know, you can't use word for word, but we give you templates on how to do that. So we're trying to raise consciousness as to this, as our other groups, um, there's been increasing number of articles in the media about this, uh, podcasts like yours. This has got to become seen as a public health issue that has Mm -hmm. to be tackled right now because the longer we leave it, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through the steps on like your website. So you go to culturereframe.org and what can you do? Well, first of all, culturereframe.org website um, of itself has lots of great resources, but if you want to get to the parents program, it's on the front page and you can click on to, it says click on to parents program and you can go on to the parents of tweens and or the parents of teens because many parents will have kids that go are tweens and teens. Um, you can just basically sign up for free and you can take our course. You can be on it for three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks. We've done it in a way that sort of allows the parent to wander around the course to figure out what makes sense for them, what they're looking for. We provide an analysis of where your kid is at cognitively, emotionally, socially, sexually. And then we explore the way in which the pornified culture, that's pornography and hypersexualized pop culture, are really undermining the developmental stages of your kid. So it's, and it was built by, I must say, between six to eight consultants drawn from pediatrics, sex health ed, um, adolescent psychology. Uh, we brought in a whole group of people, neuroscientists. It looks seamless. You wouldn't know mm-hmm. that. It's a seamless program. Um, the Parents of Tweens has 13 modules. The Parents of Teens has 12. And then at the end of each one are conversation scripts that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, And we've embedded videos as well. So we suggest as well that, first of all, you go on it as the parent, go through it, and then figure out what bits you want to bring your kid into to discuss that. There's some great videos on there where you can sit and 
um, have discussions with your kids, you know, five minute videos, seven minute videos, they're quite short, but they are really a great entry point and a teachable moment into how to have these conversations. So we give you all the knowledge that you're going to need in order to feel confident to sit down and talk to your kid, because that's what we found is that parents don't feel confident. They don't know what to say, how to say it. We even set the stage of how to have the conversations. Because kids shut you out too. I mean, when you try to talk to them. But that doesn't matter. You keep coming back and back and back and back. I mean, and you don't lecture. You find a teachable moment, like you can be driving your kid. And driving is always great because it means you're not looking eye to eye with your kid. And you can see a billboard from Victoria's Secrets or something else and bring up a discussion about that. And um, this is just so, because we live in a pornified culture, there's so many teachable moments when you're out there. So we explain how you set the tone, how not to do things, how not to lecture at your kid, and to really give the kid a sense of empowerment so that they feel confident and comfortable to talk to you and come to you. And that's all in the programs. Of how to take to away that. the shame too. Absolutely. There's so much shame. Yeah. Oh, they are so shamed by their parents. Yeah. So yeah. utterly shamed and so don't want to be doing it and have no one to talk to. So you really, we say, you know, you should both partner and parent your kid. Mm-hmm. Partner with your kid and parent your kid. But be very careful how you do this because your kid would rather be anywhere else in the world than discussing their porn use with you. Believe me, you know, if they could get out of that room or out of that car, they would. So it's Mm -hmm. really on the parent to do sort of mindful thinking around how to bring this up in a way that is going to be difficult and awkward, but you're going to minimize that. And we give you the tools of that in the program. Mm -hmm. Is this a program you can also give to your teacher or? Yes, it's downloadable. Mm-hmm. it's online so anyone can look at it and in fact what we found is a lot of teachers are using this in their health education classes in their human development classes they're using portions of the program they're taking it to their churches their synagogues their community centers it's actually being spread all over the world you know we're often getting emails from all over um saying i listened to your i watched your program well they're not listened we don't have we actually do not have a voiceover purposely because the parents should be working at their own speed not at the speed of a voiceover and, and people should go and listen to your ted talk yes and that's on <laughs> yes. culturereframed.org mm-hmm. website definitely mm-hmm. the ted talk and we've got a, a ton of other talks up there and other resources that parents can use i mean the more you know the better off you are to have these very, very difficult conversations. We know they're difficult, but we have tried to make it as easy as possible for you to get into there. But we say it is absolutely crucial now that part of Parenting 101 is getting your kids ready to live in this pornified culture in a way that will build resilience and resistance to the porn. You know, it keeps coming back to me. It's like, if you took a dog or a cat and you... Uh, anally raped it while beating it and then made a video and put it out on the internet, you would go to jail. But somehow it's okay Not necessarily. to do that to a woman. No, those exist. Those oh, exist. God. I'm sorry oh. to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you. Oh, oh. No. It, 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 it's just... It's just beyond. I mean, this is why we need to really rethink strategies of how to deal with this. I mean, pornography is the only industry I know that is above ground, multi-billion dollar, and is virtually unrestricted. 
unrestricted. I mean, I couldn't go to a middle school or high school and hand out cigarettes, free cigarettes. I couldn't start knocking on doors and saying, excuse me, do you have a kid here? If you do, will you give them this beer? I'll be back tomorrow. I couldn't do that, but I can give them free porn. It's outrageous. It's it's just shocking. So can you give us three things a parent can do to protect their children from this? Well, first of all, things got much more difficult with the smartphone. You know, parents were just kind of getting a handle on how to deal with computers, put them in the middle of the room, put all sorts of devices on them to stop them getting into porn. They were just beginning to realize that. And then out came the smartphone. And this is where we find parents have the most anxiety because you lose a lot of control. We do, by the way, have a list of filters for the smartphone on our website that can be used. But If you put a filter on your kid's phone, remember, it doesn't mean that your kid's friends have got filters on. Right, right. You know, we'd be very mindful of that. So there's a couple of things we suggest. First of all, definitely do the program. Get yourself educated, resourced, build yourself a toolkit. We've got that in the program. Another thing to do is, as anyone who's had kids know, we do not bring up our kids in isolation. We bring them up in a peer group, right, in a culture, in a society, in a school. So one very useful thing is start to look for like-minded parents of in the school. So you can start to build somewhat of a community about how to deal with this so that the kids know that all the parents are on board around this. It's not just your kid who has to be porn resistant and resilient. Also, you can use that community to start going to the principal, to teachers in the school and say, we want you to develop a curriculum that is going to help our kids. So you want to build a community in the school that says it is not acceptable to use pornography. Another thing I would suggest is go to our social media contract. We have a very extensive social media contract on our parents program. And it's really to discuss with your kids what you can and can't do on social media to protect and to your kids from this. Now we say in there, your kids will break this contract. That's the nature of being a kid. It doesn't matter. Go back and do it again. Everything has to be a redo again and again and again, because you know, this is what kids do. They're always testing boundaries and limits and that's not necessarily unhealthy. It becomes very problematic in a society drenched in pornography. So this is why you need to keep at it. And at what age should you speak to your kid? Well, I would say as early as you feel comfortable, not necessarily talking about pornography, but talking about bodily integrity, talking about sexual privacy, talking about, um, you know, obviously who should and shouldn't touch private parts. And then you scaffold up. So eventually you get to pornography. You know, we say one size doesn't fit all. So we understand that you know, some parents will agree with some parts of the program and will implement them. Other parents will feel this doesn't fit with our family, so we're not going to do this. But So we suggest that you really figure out what works for you. I'm, I'm just thinking, at what age should you speak to them before they get targeted? A, a, like 10? Or I'm just I, thinking I would say, before these people get a hold of them on the, on the social media or the internet. I would say talking about images and and looking at um, images or talking to your kid about things they might see as soon as they're on social media. 
five, six, seven, you know, wow. they're already, you see them with the iPads. So, but again, be careful how you do this. And on our resources page, we, we actually start at the tweens age, which is around nine to 13. And then the teens program goes from about 13 to 18. But we also have lists of resources to how to speak to younger children. Well, Gail, thank you so much for all this information and thank you for the amazing work you do. I hope this information goes out to all parents in the world, really. Thank you so much for being on. And thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. For info and links on our guests, go to our website, thenewfeminist.net, and make sure to subscribe. We always love to hear from you. If you have someone you think we should speak to, let us know. And make sure to follow on Instagram at thenewfeministofficial. We'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Joel Sorensen. Thanks for listening. Our producers are Sienna Jackson and Jill Sorensen. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rafelson. Our editor is Lucy Baker Swinburne. Original music by Richard Baskin. Until our next episode, thank you for listening. You've been listening to The New Feminist, brought to you by Electrocast Media. Electrocast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electrocast podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.